to the Irish NFL show weekly special in terms of looking at all the teams during the offseason and this week we are looking at the New York Jets from the AFC East and a returning guest to the show Brian Costello uh, as we call it over here instead of Costello um, from the New York Post Brian it's great to have you back on the show good to be here thanks for having me uh, Brian it feels like a long time ago since we were last talking to you I was I was backtracking to our our list of guests and I think the last time we spoke was the Thursday night football in which the Jets played the Colts and yes the Mike White experience the first time round, as opposed yeah. to last year. And uh, here we are, nearly 18 months on or whatever, and we still haven't got a quarterback. And I think I suppose we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, I suppose I just wanted to reflect on on last season for us, because um, I suppose just to, to somewhat talk of what's going on at the moment, obviously with the combine free agency, and obviously we're leading up to the draft, but just reflecting on the season that was, because for large parts of the season, it looked like the Jets were certainly... It was a great show of making the playoffs and they beat the Bills at home and I think at that stage of the season I think they only had one loss I think they, they followed that up or maybe it was the week prior that they beat Green Bay and at the time the Packers season hadn't the rails so it looked like a really murky win Sauce Gardner Garrett Wilson were finding their own in an offence which was looking okay at that stage and the second part of the season kind of really derailed you think of that Thursday night game against the Jacks I mean how did you kind of when you did your assessment at the end of the season, in terms of what you were writing articles, how did you see the season? Did you think it was a season that was lost? Because for a large part of the season, it looked like a team that were going to go to the playoffs. So I I kind of never believed they were as far as people thought they were at the beginning of the season. So if you remember, kind of kind of broke up into, you could break up into three sections. First section, Zach Wilson was hurt. They had Joe Flacco playing quarterback. They pull out a miracle win in Cleveland where they score two touchdowns in the final minute 50. Like, you'll never see that again. <laughs> you know, as long as you watch football, it was crazy. So that that kind of was like a a fluky win. Then then they get they they had a nice win in Pittsburgh. Then they get Miami at home and they 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 knock out Teddy Bridgewater on the first play of the game and face Skylar Thompson. They go into Lambeau, they win in Lambeau, which was a legit good win. Then they play Denver with Brett Rippin at quarterback. Right, so it's and you court you they you sort of felt like they won so they won those four games in a row between Pittsburgh and Denver, but they were doing it with playing great defense and running the ball with Brees Hall, and not getting much out of the quarterback. I think, but I think if I remember right, Miami, Green Bay, Green Bay, Denver, there was no passing touchdowns in those games for the Jets. So you, oh, you, you we were kind of asking like, hey, how how long can you guys win like this without getting anything from your quarterback? And they're, oh, no, no, we're, we're fine, we're fine. and But, like, you sort of felt like at some point that was going to catch up to them. And, you know, they they had the win against Buffalo, which was a good win, but then it caught up to them. And either the game, the two games against New England, the, where that, that bookended that Buffalo win, Zach Wilson with, you know, the interceptions of the game at home, and then up there it's 3-3. Three, three. They, can't, they can't do anything. The defense is playing great. They give up the punt return for a touchdown. Um, you know, so you kind of felt like you hit home and then, then they went to Mike White, they beat a bad bears team at home to go to seven and four and then the bottom fell. And, you know, if you look at it, they just, they didn't score a touchdown in the last three games. They just really didn't get much. Uh, they could not execute the way they needed to offensively to win those games. And, um, yeah, the, the Jacksonville Thursday night game was really the, the bottoming out, uh, that, that's a game they should have won on paper. Even though Jacksonville had a good season, they're playing them at home, uh, and they were they were inept and booed. So, 
know, I think if you, you pull back and you go, okay, would you, if I told you in August, they were going to go seven and 10 and they were going to be in it, uh, going into December, he'd say that's a step forward, right? Cause this was a team that was four and 13 in 2021. They were two and 14 in 2020. So, you know, it, it's, but the expectations rose so high in October that it, it, it ended up, you know, if, you, if you're looking just at the short term, it was a disappointment. Long term, I think it was a step forward. Yeah, I think it's always kind of key in terms of <clears throat> the nature of a season. Like, as you said, at the start of the season, when you're doing your season predictions and you say they'll win seven or eight games, people will say, as you said, oh, that's a successful season. Bearing in mind where the Jets were previously, and I'm still just trying to move on to a better stage. But it, I suppose it's the second half of the season and how it progressed and the, the difficult loss. So I just want to jump back to a game there, and you touched on the Patriots game in Foxborough. And obviously you, you follow this, you know, you caught a team closely from the New York Post and you're, a, <clears throat> excuse me, a large amount of the press conference. That Zach Wilson press conference after the game where essentially he kind of alluded to the fact that it wasn't his fault and he was trying to, I wouldn't say he was pointing the blame on anyone in particular, but he was trying to offset a lot of the blame on him in a game which he couldn't move the ball for, for large parts of the game. And I think if it wasn't for the fact that the, the Jets defense stepped up at times in the game when the Patriots were having quite some, you know, they had some really comprehensive drives that were resulting in field goals as opposed to touchdowns, which kept the Jets in the game. Did you going to get a sense that particular day or was something that was coming that something just didn't feel right between Wilson or in terms of the relationship between him and the coaching staff? No, I don't think it was that. Um, you know, I'd heard there has been rumblings that he had been practicing well and things like that, but the in terms of the press conference, <clears throat> you know, he's a young guy, he made a mistake, and um, what people I don't think realized was, uh, I thought the Jets staff made a mistake. Uh, they had him sitting in the back of the room when Robert Sala was doing his press conference, which was, so the coach goes and the quarterback goes, right? That's, that's, that's how it goes. And Robert Sala was fielding a lot of questions about whether he should bench Zach Wilson. And it can't be easy to hear that. You're 10 minutes after a game. I think Zach was mad at the media and... When he got that question about, you know, do you feel like you let the defense down? I think his answer was to the media. I I, I think he was kind of like saying, screw you to, to us. And and uh, he made a mistake. And, he, he, you know, I think what's hard for people to understand when they do press conferences, and you're, in, you're just in a little room with 15 to 20 people, but that camera takes you to you know, millions, as well as the 52 guys that are in your locker. And so like the people who are good at it, understand they're sending a message to their locker room or, or he's young. I think he made a mistake. I think the guy got overblown. I do think it pissed his teammates off, but, uh, you know, I, the, the bigger problem was that Wilson was the way he was playing. And if he'd been playing better, those comments wouldn't have been as big of a deal. Yeah. I've been having, Covered the, the games in London and Munich this year. Like it's always because we obviously live in a different dynamic. Yes, in the Premiership, the the coach is going to make up their make up their mind when they're going to come out to do the press conference, as opposed to in the NFL. Yeah, when they're literally out within five or ten minutes after the game. Yeah, it's been a difficult loss. Like that game was on a, a last second punt return. Like you you need time to kind of digest what's happened, then go out there and have a clear head and speak to the media, as opposed to being kind of rushed into that kind of predicament. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough, tough deal. Um, but they get paid lots of money. <laughs> so there's a part, it's part of the deal. And the reason they get paid lots of money is because it's so popular and because people want to hear what they have to say, you know, right after a game. So yeah. Yeah. um that's the deal. 
Yeah, it comes with the territory. You're always going to see when it's in New York, obviously, Salah or Brian David, when they do their Monday press conference via Zoom or whatever particular platform, it's always a bit more orchestrated in terms of how they respond to the questions that they probably only answer 24 hours. Yeah, well, you know, there's people that work for these open based teams that their their job is to prep them for these things. And it's easier to prep them on a Monday when you have hours and hours than right after, like, again, right after a game. They have to go in and say, okay, here's what you're going to get asked. And remember, like, the stuff that happens during a game that becomes a big deal on a broadcast or becomes a big deal on Twitter, if you're coaching the game, you have no idea, like, some of that stuff. So they, they sometimes find out right after the game, hey, this is going on out there. Like this, this is the conversation you're gonna have to answer. This, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose we'll take it to the off season, and what's very, very much evident, whatever quarterback they were gonna go after in the off season, whether it was Lamar Jackson or whether it was Aaron Rodgers, that there's a sense within the Jets organization that they feel they really are a lot closer than the seven and ten record that was delivered last season, and you know they they did put up really good performances throughout the course of the season and if they just get the right person our quarterback this team feels they can step on I think it's evident in what they've what they've done in free ages I mean, where do you sit on the, the Aaron Rodgers situation at the moment I mean it has so many parallels to the Brett Favre signing back in 2007 where we waited so long throughout the course of the summer on Favre watch only to finally get to a stage where he signed for the Jets and it feels like that at the moment and it feels like this is just an ongoing saga and every snippet of information we get is that they're still trying to compromise on the deal. Do you see it's been done pre-draft or do you think it could fall into a situation where it just goes into May and lingers even further into this one? I think it'll be pre-draft myself. Um, you know, that's the hard part right now is there's no deadline. There's nothing to spur action. You know, the, the, the players are not doing anything right now. There's no football right now. So there's no reason for the Jets to feel any panic about getting him in the building. There's no reason for the Packers to feel like they have to move on at this point. You know, that it doesn't affect Jordan Love at all right now um so uh, but the draft i think the packers are going to want something from this year's draft i don't think they're going to want to kick the can down the road and take draft picks next year i mean you know you just you don't know what position the jets are going to finish in in terms of drafts draft wise next year and uh i think they're just going to want something immediate like here if you're brian goodkins you're not worried about 2025 as much as you're worried about 2023 so uh, i do think they'll get something done before the draft i the sense I get is that I don't think I don't think this is like a huge gulf between the teams. I think it's something that can be can be compromised, but somebody just needs to get a little bit of a nudge, and I think the draft will provide that. You know, there's a draft chart which essentially says if the if the trade included a swap over from 15 to 30 in terms of their the order where they're picking in the first round, that kind of is clarified classified as an an additional short round pick because of this charge construction. I mean. Do you, think, do you think that's very much in play here that they will swap picks? In the no, I don't think we'll swap picks. I think it's going to be for something else. I, I thought all along it's going to be um, a day two pick. I, I, you know, I think now a second round pick this year, and I think it's going to be a pick next year that moves, depending on what Rodgers does. Uh, I do think it's, you know, I think Rodgers changed the equation a little bit when he said uh, that he was 90% retired um, before this. I think that scared the Jets. And so I do think the Jets are going to be looking for protection from the Packers if Rodgers doesn't play in 2024. So I think they're going to, Jets are looking for something to come back in the 2025 draft if Rodgers doesn't play in 24. So I think that that's in play as well. But, you know, I, I don't think the first rounders, I don't, I don't think they'll do anything with the first round pick. When he was on Pat McAfee on 
15th of March again, even seems so long ago, he distanced himself, he distanced himself from the, again, the story that was out there that he was suggesting particular players to Jess in terms of who he wanted to be brought in. But yeah, they brought in Alan Lazard um, to brought, well, potentially bringing in Odell Beckham. I'm not sure how, how true that, that, that kind of story is and that Norwich best going around. And then obviously Nicole Harvin comes in like the two on their day, the two really good wide receivers. And obviously he has the relationship with Lazard. Do you feel that these, like these signings, he says it's not, but it does, you know, look at what they're bringing in, it kind of points to players that he would want as part of the offense he wants to work with. Yeah, I, I think it got a little bit um, mischaracterized as like a list of demands. Um, when the Jets met with him in California, they asked him like, hey, what free agents do you think would you like to play with? And I think, you know, it's the same thing, um, you know, Tampa Bay did with Tom Brady, right? Rob Gronkowski wasn't on Tampa Bay's list until Tom Brady got there. Antonio Brown wasn't on on their list until Tom Brady got there. And if you look at when Peyton Manning went to Denver, they, uh, they signed Stokely, who had played with them with the Colts. I'm sure there's others that I'm not remembering. So, you know, I just think with everything with Aaron Rodgers sort of gets like this, this like, I don't know if negative is the right word, but like he, he he sort of is of like a villain character. And it's like, oh my gosh, he's demanding that they sign these guys. I think it's just smart by the Jets to ask him, hey, like, here's the list of free agents. Who, who do you like? And, you know, not turning the organization over to him. Um, and I think Al Lazard made sense for the Jets, no matter who the quarterback is. He's a good blocker, a good, good, good red zone target. Um, Odell, we'll see. I, I think at the right price, Odell makes a little bit more sense. I, I don't think the Jets should spend a lot of money on Odell at this point. And you're playing with fire with Odell in terms of he's going to bring baggage with him. But, um, you know, I, I do think I don't blame the Jets for asking Aaron Rodgers who, who, he's like, who he'd like to play with. Um, they're, they, they are courting him here a little bit. And if he's their quarterback, they're going to want to make him as comfortable as possible. Absolutely. Just on Odell, I know it's a, a Jets uh, podcast as opposed to an Odell podcast, but do you buy into this storyline that he's, like originally the 20 million number was out there, then he was kind of on social media kind of pushing back saying, I never, I, I never want the 20. I just, I'm not going to, I'm not willing to pay for four. And there's a, yeah. there's a balancing act here. And if, if, if it comes down to like, if it, Gets to a stage where he recognizes with his own team that he's not going to get the money that his expectations deserve. Like, does that bring other teams back in the equation? Like, maybe the Giants or the Rams are back in the equation, and maybe it won't be a foregone conclusion he goes to the Jets. Yeah, I don't think it's foregone conclusion he goes to the Jets. I, I do think I, I think this is going to go past the draft with Odell, and I think what's going to happen is teams are going to see where the dust settles after the draft. Did they get a receiver in the draft that they like? If not, then then they explore Odell and. Um, and yes, it does Odell realize that he's, you know, he's probably going to get somewhere around, I'd say nine or $10 million. And he might have to take a contract that is all based on how much he plays and incentives and that kind of thing that pushes it up. But so I think there's going to be a, uh, meeting in the middle between Odell and the teams after the draft. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. I don't think, I don't think the Jets are necessarily definite. I think they've just been the one who kind of been the most public in their, uh, pursuit of him. Um, Woody Johnson's been coming out with some, I suppose, thoughts on the whole situation. He feels like this team is not necessarily win mode now, but he wants to see, I suppose he wants a return on the investment in terms of if he goes and brings these players in. Is Robert Sada in a situation this year where the expectations come or if will be that this team definitely makes the playoffs and it's a playoffs or bust scenario for him and, and potentially for, for Joe Douglas? Maybe Joe Douglas feels like he's a little bit safer than the head coach would be. Uh, I think if they get out of Rodgers... Like, yeah, it's playoffs or bust. Uh, I mean, unless 
something if Rodgers gets hurt week one, that changes the equation. But if they have Aaron Rodgers and he plays, um, you know, 15, 16, 17 games, yeah, they, they'll, they'll, they'll be in trouble if, uh, if they don't make the playoffs. I think both of them will be, you know, on the hot seat at that point. You know, Douglas got the two rookies of the year last year, which helps him, but his first two drafts don't look very good right now. Um, they're not getting a lot out of those. So, uh, I think he's done a good job overall building the roster. But, yeah, it's 12 years without the playoffs. It's the longest streak in all of professional United States sports right now because the Sacramento Kings just made the playoffs in the NBA. So the Jets are now the the leaders of the worst. They're the worst of all all the all the sports. So, you know, and Wade Johnson's getting older. Uh, you know, he, he's, I'm sure he's getting antsy. So I, I do think they'll be on the hot seat this year if they don't make the playoffs. Yeah, it's not it's not good company to be in when you're yeah haven't been to playoffs for for a period of time and you see teams like the Jags turning things around within one year of a new head coach and obviously bringing other players in. Um, in terms of the draft come come the end of the month, and what's your expectations? Have you got any? England to have you see to, to approach it will they go offense defense because last year because of because of the two picks like two went defense and yeah I think it's the lines it's either offensive line or defensive line um you know they defensive line they lost Sheldon Rankins in free agency which that's a big loss he was a good player for them they also lost Nathan Shepard who was a backup there so right now you have Quinn and Williams and it's kind of a question mark of who's next to him so I could see them going defensive line there on the offensive line, they they need a center. I'm not. I don't think necessarily any centers will go in the first round, but maybe the second round they take a center. Uh, and then offensive tackle is fascinating with them because they have players, but no players you can really definitely count on. You know, Dwayne Brown is coming off shoulder surgery. He's, I think he's 38 years old. Um, he's so. What are you going to get out of him? And then Makai Becton, he looks great on social media posting his pictures. He's lost a lot of weight. He seems to be motivated, but he hasn't played in two years. You know, he, he's been hurt for two years. So I don't know. You can just pencil him in and go, okay, this is our starting right tackle or left tackle. Max Mitchell, a rookie, played a little bit last year at Blood Clocks. Um, he's coming back from that. So they, they have three guys that can all potentially be starters, but they all have major question marks. with them. So I do think the Jets could take a tackle there at number 13, uh, to sort of solidify that position. Yeah, I was just going to ask him about Becton because last off season, he you know he returned to the to the April camps. He's you know heavily overweight, and then he just didn't seem to have his his head in the right place. I think he had a child thereafter. They yeah. obviously he was out for the year, and you're right. You know you you look at all the postings on social media, and it looks like he's looking to completely change everything around on him. Like, is the scrutiny going to be still intensified on him? Come come to summer or do you think to, it'll be a case of let's just give him the opportunity just to prove himself again compared to how it was last year because of the expectation levels for a guy who was a part of four offensive line guys that went yeah. 15. I think he's on the other side of the story now where it's redemption time. I think people are looking for the redemption story, right? Like I said this to somebody with Zach Wilson the other day, you know, this is how it goes sometimes is they come in, they're the, they're the favorite, everyone loves them. They collapse, they fall down to the bottom, and then they build themselves back up, right? Like, because everyone says, oh, people like to tear them down, but they love to build them back up, too. The redemption story is great, too. So I think I think Makai, um, he'll have scrutiny because he's he's still first-round pick, but I do think it's going to be, he's going to be looked at a little bit differently this year. I don't think he's going to be looked at as, um, 
a no-brainer starter. He's going to have to prove himself, and I think people are, are kind of going to be cheering for him. I think the fans are going to be cheering for him this year and hoping he can bounce back. You, you've been covering this team for a long time, and, and you know what the New York media is like. If you're not playing well, you quickly know about it. Is Rogers in for as long as he's played in the league and the experience he has with one team? Is he in for a bit of a, a shock to when he moves to New York and trying to handle the expectations that come with being the Jets quarterback, whether they're winning or losing? Uh, it's not so much football, right? Like, because I think the Green Bay media gets on you. If you throw four interceptions, you lose. Like, there's high expectations in Green Bay. Um, and I've always been struck when I read the coverage in Green Bay of how football intensive it is. Like, they're breaking down, like, you know, did, did, it, did the defense coordinator call enough cover two? Like, you don't get that in New York. We, we don't, we don't get in the weeds on X's and O's as much. We like the drama a little more. And, that I think that part of it, he'll have to get used to like two things. The back page is different in, in like they don't have the back page in Green Bay, right? So like I said to somebody on Thanksgiving Day, the cover of the New York Post was a turkey with Zach Wilson's head on it, right? That doesn't happen most places. <laughs> so that's different. And uh, then the second thing is your personal life is, you know, the gossip page, like which Aaron's a little used to because he's dated some high profile women. He's dated actresses. He dated... Uh, Danica Patrick, the race car driver. Um, but if he goes to a dinner in Manhattan, there's probably going to be a picture of him at dinner in the New York Post the next day. And sometimes guys don't like that. I, I don't know, Aaron. I don't know how he'll feel about that. But that's that's different than Green Bay. Right? So the, so it's not like, I, I don't think it's like, oh my gosh, you know, he's going to get killed for, you know, for, if he throws three interceptions. You get killed everywhere now if you throw three interceptions. But the, the back page and the off-field stuff is, is a little bit different, and I think um, you know that's probably what he's going to have to get used to. Yeah, I recall he was on the Rich Eisen show last year, and Rich Eisen said to him, what did you think of Monday Night Football's game? And he says, oh, I wouldn't watch that. He says, on a Monday after a game, I sit down and read a book it's to forget about my, my weekend having, having to work, essentially, as he called it. So it'll be interesting to see how he manages his, I suppose, his lifestyle in, in New York. I just wanted to ask you on general expectations on the team. For next year, because as a you know, as a whole in the division, because the Bills, I would say the Bills have been quietly gone about their business. They haven't had any marquee signs. I think McGovern coming in from the Cowboys and the offensive line is it's actually a really good, good signing. And we've seen the Dolphins do a few bits and pieces. Continued stories going around about the Patriots. I mean, where do you see this division at the moment? Because there was great expectations on the Bills last year. They didn't deliver in the end. The Dolphins kind of went off. I know they made the playoffs, but they had a similar type type of path to the to the Jets. I mean, the second half of the season yeah. wasn't good, and the Patriots was a bit hit and miss. Like, where do you where do you sense the Jets' opportunity next year? Is it re- if Rogers comes in, would they be Darius favorites for the division? No, I think the Bills will still be the favorites for the division. Um, you know, the, the, until until proven otherwise. But the Jets are definitely in the conversation now. Like, I I can't remember the last time I thought the, the Jets had a chance at winning the division. Um, yeah, probably back like 2011, like coming off the championship games. But it's been a long time since we thought the division was even in play. I think it's in play now. Uh, I think, and I think Miami, if they can stay healthy and Tua stays healthy and takes a step forward, they're right there too. I think New England right now is the fourth team, and that's pretty clear. It's crazy to say that, but um, that's 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 how it is. I think the other three teams have really gotten better, and New England uh, is is not over the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, it should be, it's a tough division. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be a really good division. 
with Rodgers in it, Josh Allen, and I, and I think Tua showed some stuff last year when he was healthy of what he can do. Um, Miami's defense is pretty good. Jets' defense is good. Bills' defense has been good. Um, so it, it should be should be a fun division to watch. I think what's a given is, Brian, that you're going to have an entertaining time ahead covering this team and writing for them in, in the New York Post. Brian, I really appreciate your time today, and hopefully we'll have you on in the lead-up to the new season. All right, thanks for having me.